Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. The best thing that could happen for the Republican Party right now is somebody step up who's willing to lose, either lose the primary challenge to Trump because the party is is gone so far off, in my view, off the deep end, or lose to a Democrat because sometimes the healthiest thing is to lose. Like this is a lesson our kids need. Sometimes the healthiest thing is to lose a game, right? And for us as adults, sometimes the healthiest thing is to not get the job or to go through the divorce or whatever. Sometimes you need to lose. And we are in a space right now, I believe, as a coalition of people who have gravitated toward conservative policies for whatever reason, where we need a great, big, instructive loss. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics. We're so happy to be back together at the microphones and back with you. 
and hope that you had wonderful holidays. Today, we're going to be talking about the government shutdown, about Mm -hmm. how we think the media is perhaps evolving in ways that we're supportive of, and Mm -hmm. Mitt Romney's op-ed about President Trump. And then we're going to share a fantastic and I think, highly relevant conversation with Tabitha Eisner about her run for Congress. We're also going to be sharing her concession speech, during which she cried, and while watching, I cried. Please act suppressed. (laughs) Before we dive in, we want to make sure that you have planned to be at the Women's March in Washington, D.C., because the evening before, we are going to be having a very special event that involves Ambassador Swanee Hunt. He's been a guest on our show before and a number of really interesting women who are working hard on women's leadership in Washington. We will have more details on that soon, but plan to be there. We also wanted to give you a little sneak peek of Tuesday's episode. We are so excited to be sharing our conversation with Ann Bogle of the podcast, What Should I Read Next?, about building a really positive and empowering online community. And we can't wait to share that conversation with you on Tuesday. Sarah, I would like to just file the shutdown in Beth's file of wrongness, because Mm -hmm. every time I believe that our elected officials are going to step up to the plate and accomplish something, I and proven incorrect. And we are now in the most pointless government shutdown of all time. This morning on Instagram, I shared my new Christmas coffee mug my mother-in-law gave me. And on the side, it just says, people, am I right? And I put it on Instagram and I said, this is my official analysis of the government shutdown. People, am I right? I mean, what is happening? Why is there not more freaking out about this? That's sort of my main kind of surprise. I'm not surprised he's pitching a fit over his wall. I'm not surprised they're not budging. I'm just surprised it's not a bigger deal. It seems sort of, is it because it's over the holidays? I don't know. It just seems like it hasn't been that big of a deal, which is concerning because it is a very big deal. I think it's time of year. I certainly think Mm -hmm. that that's part of it. I also think that there is an element of it being a partial shutdown, which makes the impact of it more complex to assess. I thought it was really helpful. We shared on Instagram, one of our listeners who works at the FDA shared this really concrete example of the impact of the shutdown at the FDA. But you don't get that kind of tangible impact through reading news stories about it. It's just it kind of sounds like uh, he's being a pain about the wall and the Democrats are saying no funding for the wall. And it just kind of sounds like a nothing. Right. Just the same old stuff that we've come to expect. But when you hear some of our meat inspectors are having to work without being paid or aren't working, then you can understand better that this is a real thing with real consequence. Timing is definitely a part of it. The partial shutdown is part of it. I do suspect that the coverage will change and the dynamics will definitely change because as we are recording on Thursday, January 3rd, the new Congress is being sworn in. Nancy Pelosi is being sworn in again as the Speaker of the House. I thought this was really interesting. It's only the second time in history that a Speaker of the House has returned to power in the way that she has. Um, It was Sam Rayburn from Texas, I think, was the last the last Speaker of the House that came back as Speaker. And, you know, it's sort of a triumphant return, I would say. And it changes the dynamics of Congress dramatically. The new House is passing 
new rules, how, how they'll govern the House. They're trying to change some of the way that Congress people interact with lobbyists. I think there's a, a far left wing of the House that's just that they view the way to govern completely differently. I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air. I was reading this morning that some of them are going to record every conversation they have with a lobbyist um, and put it on the Internet, which I thought was fascinating. So, I mean, the dynamic of the shutdown is about to change dramatically with this new Congress being sworn in. Do you think that I mean, I think he's going to have to cave eventually. Yeah, I think so. I don't know what that caving will look like, but I think something will happen to happen. To me, the most scandalous part of this whole phenomenon is that Congress got to have a holiday. Mm-hmm. It really bugs me that everybody just threw up their hands and went home. Well, I wonder if it's because it's it's so weird, though, because it's not just a holiday. It's like transition. yeah, Transition. That's what's so weird about this. It's like the, the confluence of so many different weird timing factors. My only concern is that when he feels powerless, when he feels backed into a corner, as I have to believe he has to feel now, he can be dangerous. And there's I mean, we have Mick Mulvaney as the quote unquote acting chief of staff. I'm not sure how much control or influence he has at this point. And so I'm a little concerned about how the president is going to react to this changing dynamic. He wasn't really great on the checks and balances when he controlled both branches or his party controlled both branches. I'm very concerned about how he'll feel about the limitations on his power now that those checks and balances involve a Democratic House of Representatives. It's also an interesting commentary on power because You can feel the momentum around Democrats who only control the House. Mm -hmm. You can feel the disempowerment of Republicans and all the shutdown coverage. One of the most poignant things I read was a Republican saying, you know, we're all standing on the floor waiting for a tweet from the president. That's what being in Congress has come to. It is ridiculous. And for that to be the perspective of someone who's in the majority in control of the House, the Senate and the White House It really tells you something about what power means and what it looks like and what leadership means. Part of the reason I think the Democrats are so energized right now is that Nancy Pelosi has rolled in like a boss. Mm -hmm. And you have a leaderless Republican Party, which kind of transitions us to, I think, the way the president conducted this cabinet meeting and certainly to the Mitt Romney op-ed that we're going to talk about. I really don't care how he covered the cabinet meeting because... It was not a surprise at all. It was a stream of consciousness full of lies. What I'm so encouraged about is that I was a solid, like, 30, 35 minutes in my news reading before I realized there had been this filmed cabinet meeting. And to that, I say, bravo, national media. And I think you're right. I don't think it's just the media has, like, started a new year and making better choices. I think you can feel the power dynamic shifting and that he looks silly at this point. And those, I mean, those meetings, even at the the peak of his political capital, still look silly. But I just was encouraged that I didn't feel like it was all over 24-hour news. I didn't feel like it was full of Twitter. I feel like everybody kind of like rolled their eyes and didn't even cover it, which is the appropriate response when he pulls that together. I mean, I know we're calling it a cabinet meeting, but that's not really what it is. It's a press conference he requires people to be at where he lies for 90 minutes. It's a sort of cabinet right now, too, because there are so many people in acting capacities. I talked about this on the Nightly Nuance this week. I'm concerned about having an acting secretary of defense. This is Mm -hmm. a person who has the most control other than the president and Congress over the world's most powerful military. And that person's just kind of auditioning. I think Mm. that's a really concerning place to be in. And so that all takes us to Mitt Romney 
who wrote about how the president has not risen to the office. And if you haven't read Mitt Romney's Washington Post piece, he talks about how he thinks some of what's happened under this president has been good. He agrees with what he calls aligning our corporate tax rate to the competitive world. And I think that's a generous interpretation of the Could tax you hear me rolling bill. my eyes? Yeah. Could you I, hear me rolling I, my eyes? <laughs> I think that's a generous interpretation of what happened, but I, I see that. I get it. He talks about deregulation as a positive. There are things in there where he says on substance, I agree. He, he praises criminal justice reform. He praises veterans issues, things like that. Okay. But then he says being the president is about more than what you get done on policy. It is about the way that you lead and it is about your presentation. It's about the way that you steer the nation. On just the face of this op-ed, which I know is not what anyone cares about or is discussing, but I do want to mention it. My favorite part was the very end where Mitt Romney makes the point that the American people will move toward kindness and respect and civility if they are counseled to do that by their leaders. And it t- and he says by their leaders in homes and in businesses and mm-hmm. in schools and in government. And I think that's right, that we need a resounding message in lots of different spaces about the kind of people that we want to be. And I do think the tone the president set matters in that regard. I found myself thinking, I can't even remember what I was thinking about, but I was cleaning my house and I was listening to something over the holiday. And the first thing that popped into my mind in reaction to whatever I heard was, well, that's a loser mentality. And then I Mm. thought, I don't think like that. I don't say loser. But I hear that kind of language so often that it's seeping into my consciousness to the point where I have to stop myself and say, that's a gross thought, Beth. Don't have it. So I think Mitt Romney makes a good point. Now, nobody cares about the points that Mitt Romney was trying to make, right? They care about why did Mitt Romney do this? Mm -hmm. Well, I will say this, though. The first thing I thought is, Hey, you know what? Mitt Romney was just elected to a six-year term. Maybe he'll be like our new Bob Corker. Because what does he care? What does he care if Donald Trump doesn't like him or not? Now, that's only if he plans on, your, to, to the point you were about to make, only if he plans on staying in the Senate for a six-year term and then running again, and not if he's contemplating some sort of primary challenge to Donald Trump. But I still think, you know— if this is how he's going to define himself, I'm all about some more Republican voices that are very comfortable saying this guy is bad at his job. Like, I'm not going to be mad about that. I'm going to be real. Yeah, I appreciate it setting the tone. I like that Mitt Romney is coming into the Senate saying, I am not going to be a pushover. Now, how will he vote? I have no idea. In terms of his political future, Mitt Romney is 71 years old. And so, is he really? He is. I can't so believe young. that, right? He That's looks crazy. much younger than 71. But, But I looked it up today. He's 71 years old. He has plenty of money. He's accomplished plenty in his life. I cannot imagine Mm -hmm. that he wants to run for president again. But but I'm wrong about all kinds of things all the time. So maybe he does. I am personally okay with Mitt Romney continually trying to get it right. And I know that he often talks a big game on something and then goes in a very transactional direction. Yeah. So true. But I am okay with him continuing to try to get it right. And I'm appreciative of someone who, unlike Corker and Flake, is saying, put me in. I feel this way and put me in, not I feel this way and I'm out. Right. That's true. So I have respect for that. I don't know if he's going to run for president. Here's here's my feeling about a primary challenge to President Trump. I've heard John Kasich recently say, right now, I don't think I could win and I don't do things when I can't win. And the truth of the matter is, 
somebody needs to be willing to lose. The best thing that could happen for the Republican Party right now is somebody step up who's willing to lose, either lose the primary challenge to Trump because the party is is gone so far off, in my view, off the deep end, or lose to a Democrat because sometimes the healthiest thing is to lose. Like this is a lesson our kids need. Sometimes the healthiest thing is to lose a game, right? And for us as adults, sometimes the healthiest thing is to not get the job or to go through the divorce or whatever. Sometimes you need to lose. And we are in a space right now, I believe, as a coalition of people who have gravitated toward conservative policies for whatever reason, where we need a great, big, instructive loss. Well, and here's why. Here's what I would add to that. Because... It shifts when we say we need somebody to step up and be okay with losing because it's important because it moves the conversation about campaigns away from the transactional exercise we view them as, right? Yes. It acknowledges that campaigns are a part of our culture. They contribute to our societal conversations in real and permanent ways. It acknowledges that they are sort of this freestanding exercise that we need to stop treating as just the transaction to get to the winner, right? I mean, because they they go on for so long. They're just a part of the air we breathe and the way we treat campaigns, the way we engage in campaigns, it leaves a permanent impact. And so... It's important how those campaigns are run and the conversations that happen in those campaigns are essential. And so when we think about them that way, then it's not just about, oh, well, you're doing it because you're going to lose. It's that you're participating in this exercise that leaves permanent impact on our culture and our society and our politics and our government, even if you do not win. And so I think that's what's important. Also, a very good transition to (laughs) Tabitha Eisner, who I think might be the first person I ever heard talk about campaigns that way. And I haven't stopped thinking about it since. You kind of read my mind, Sarah, because when I was thinking this morning about what is sort of the theme of Mitt Romney for me, it is that I've been in the kitchen a lot. That's why kitchen metaphors are probably in my mind. But what, (laughs) what you put in the oven bakes. You know, you can't have dough that you put raisins in and you put in the oven and then you say, well, it's not raisin bread. It's just bread with some raisins in it. I'm going to pick those raisins out later. And I think that's what's happened to the Republican Party, where people want to say, well, we're not the party of Trump. It's just that Trump is the president right now and we're getting our things done through him. No, it's still raisin bread. You can't pick out the tweets and you can't pick Mm -hmm. out the racism and the nationalism. You can't just pick that stuff out. It's in there. It's baked in. And I think that if we if I have one like plea with everybody who campaigns, it's to understand that what you put in the oven bakes. So Mitt Romney has done some things over time that I think are pretty inconsistent with his personal values and philosophy. And unfortunately, You can't just pick those things out. It doesn't mean we don't let people make mistakes or that we don't allow people not to evolve. But I think it does mean, and part of what I like about him starting his Senate career this way, that who you are through and through matters. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what's so wonderful about what Tabitha Eisner has done. And so before you hear from her reflecting on her race, we're going to share her concession speech, which if you didn't hear our initial interview with her, which we'll put in the show notes, her concession speech really helps you understand what she was trying to do and how she was out there trying to campaign. And then we'll follow up with her after that. Summer is here. 
pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. and that is all right. 
But even if you aren't religious, I want you to see that the work we are doing is deeply spiritual. We are not merely fighting for economic prosperity. We are not merely fighting for health care and the physical well-being of our fellow citizens. We are fighting for the soul of this nation. I've been asking myself lately, will this become a nation where only the strongest among us survive? Will this become a nation where the wealthy are admired for their ability to trample the poor? Will we embrace a vision of women as inherently less valuable than men? Will we be a nation that callously throws away the lives of our fellow human beings simply because their very difference makes us uncomfortable? Y'all don't often get to see me angry. I haven't shown my anger much on this campaign trail. But I can get angry. I am angry. I'm angry about the direction that this country is going. The selfishness and the callousness that leaders in this country show towards their fellow human beings. The desire to inflict pain on others simply to prove a point. The indifference to the suffering of humankind. Oh, I feel angry about it. I feel sad. Too many people in this district are living in bad situations. Really bad situations. Not only are they poor, but they don't think they deserve better than they have right now. I went to homes and asked people living in abject poverty what they wanted in their community to change. And they shrugged their shoulders because they don't even believe that it's worth asking for more. I'm sad. I'm sad also because not only are people uninformed, but they've been told that they should be skeptical of information. Not only are they unlikely to experience the broader world, but they've been told that they should fear it. Do you know what it's like to be afraid? It's miserable being afraid. It's a no way to live.
It's no way to live in fear. And I fear that about 67% of Alabama lives in fear. The saddest thing I've seen though is the willingness of one person to completely dismiss another person based solely on their political affiliation. It's worse than that. It's broader than that, I should say. The saddest thing I've seen is that people are willing to dismiss another person, period. For whatever reason it is, to completely dismiss another person, to treat them as if they aren't a beloved child of God with hopes and dreams and fears. So yeah, I'm angry about the injustice. And I'm sad about the way people are living in this state and across the country. And I'm worried about the direction that we're headed. But I'm also so very proud. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of me. I'm proud of us. EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. EarthBreeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. 
for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We are here with Tabitha Eisner. She was the Democratic candidate for Alabama's 2nd Congressional District and one of my personal favorite interviews. I thought so long and hard about everything you said during our interview with us. And then, as if you weren't giving me enough to think of, Tabitha, your concession speech was incredible. Just incredible. I'm still pondering and thinking about it. I've been doing some journaling about it. It's so I lost my own election, re-election for city commission, and it was just a balm to my soul. It was so powerful. So tell the people uh, how you're doing, update us on your race, and tell us how you came to that amazing concession speech. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm I'm delighted that you that you listened and that it meant something to you. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. It's, you know, always hard to lose. Um, I think the hardest part is that you know, a campaign becomes, it becomes your life. It becomes your friend. It becomes your whole social circle. And then one day it's just over. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, win or lose, there's a lot to mourn. Um, when the whole passionate community comes to an end. And I, so I've been thinking a lot about that question about, uh, why is it that our community seems to come to an end that we only spend that kind of quality time together when we have a big upcoming deadline of an election? And how can we create a more ongoing community where we don't have to mourn at the end? It's a, uh, uh, elections, I like to think, are progress reports. They're not uh, the end-all be-all. So how can we keep things moving? I think it's so interesting that you say that, too, especially as we start to hear everyone approaching 2020 with dread, like, oh, here we go again with elections. But it seems like you and a couple other candidates that we talked with approached the campaign in such a service-oriented way that it's something to mourn when it's over. And that contrast is really stark for me. I think there are a lot of lessons there. Yeah, I think, you know, one of our we, we were very clear about having some core values on our campaign, and one of them was making sure that we leave a place better than we found it. But now I kind of regret that being our phrase because I do feel like I've left the place. Mm-hmm. I don't have an excuse to be you know, quite as involved as I was before. 
And I, I really miss that. So I've been looking for opportunities to keep doing stuff in the community, but it's a 10,000 square mile district. So, you know, staying involved means continuing to put tons of miles on my car. And it's really not something that I can do well in my spare time. You know, figuring that out, I think, is a, is a real question. But the, the desire to serve continues for sure. Um, and so I've been in a lot of conversations in the last month about what that will look like and what's the, what's the service that I'm best equipped to give and that my community most needs. And so we're in a discernment process of figuring out what that is and trying not to jump too quickly into a single answer without having fully thought about it. I love, love that you use the word discernment. Beth and I have been thinking a lot about that word. We are both independently said, ooh, discernment's going to be our word for 2019. So I think that's really beautiful. What I want to hear is beyond thinking about campaigns and thinking about how we use those to engage in our community, it seemed to me from your concession speech that you really learned a lot of powerful lessons about your community itself. I was so struck by when you spoke about asking people wanted what they wanted to see in their community and them not being able to give an answer. I thought that was so powerful. Can you speak to that moment in your concession speech and what that was inspired by? Yeah, well, you know, people keep asking me, um, you know, throughout the campaign would ask, what are you hearing on the campaign trail? What issues are people most passionate about? And it's a hard question to answer, especially in the campaign, during campaigning. But the real answer was, gosh, it's like pulling teeth to get people to tell you mm. what they care about. And at first I thought maybe people just didn't want to talk about it. You know, some sort of concern about polite society doesn't talk politics, but the more and more it happened and the more I pushed for answers, the more clear it became that people just don't have an answer. They haven't been thinking about what they want to be happening in their community. People who did have an answer to that question quickly became volunteers. Uh -huh. But the vast majority of people didn't know. And so they don't even know what they themselves are rooting for. And, you know, when you start throwing stuff out, of course, people will say, well, well yeah, I care about education. And yeah, I wish jobs were more available. And I, I wish wages were higher. But you can see people recognizing that these are complicated issues and they don't have the answers and they haven't spent the time thinking about it. And it's a privilege to be able to have the time to sit and think about what theory of economic growth you find most uh -huh. <laughs> or, you know, what, um, you know, how much we can afford to love our neighbor um, when it feels like there's not enough to go around already. Those are deep and challenging questions. And so more and more, I've been thinking we, we need to make space for people to think about those kinds of deep discernment questions. How, how important is it to love your neighbor? And how big is the neighbor circle? And what does that mean for our country as a whole? Well, I mean, I think I had a similar moment in my first campaign when I realized that as I went around and knocked on doors... The that there were areas of town that would have three to four yard signs in their yard. And then you would go to other areas of town 
for the most part, areas of town of a lower socioeconomic background, and there would be no yard signs for blocks and blocks and blocks. I think it's not just how you feel about politics, but it's almost like engaging with politics to begin with takes a certain amount of privilege and resources to have that time to discern and think and, you know, that that when you're not just dealing with the next moment and how you're going to feed your kids. Like, I mean, I just, I realized that as I was walking around my own town. Yeah. And it's made me more, more enthusiastic about Facebook than I ever expected to be. But I feel like the beauty of Facebook is that it'll, it's so accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, so few people aren't on it. And so it's really become a way I think to, to reach people and give them an opportunity to talk about deep issues with like no entry fee. You don't have to read some, some long article. Um, You don't have to have access to uh, the New York times. You don't have to, you know, get through a paywall. It's just, here's a short question and you can read some people's responses to it and maybe chime in yourself and just feeling like, what if we treated Facebook as a ministry opportunity instead of treating it as this awful place where people just fight and compare prettiest kid pics? Uh, Ooh, I'm going to be thinking about Facebook as a ministry for I a know, while. I was just thinking <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> so, Tabitha, one thing we've been asking the candidates that we've been talking with is what what is missing in the national conversation about what happened in the midterms? In your case, it jumped out at me that you got so little party support. And as we're having this discussion across the country about a blue wave and women candidates in the Democratic Party, it really hit me that that conversation does not focus on heavily red districts and the opportunity that's there if there's more support in heavily red districts. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, what we're missing is is that perspective from heavily red districts where I think we're not having conversations about what needs to change in the party or what needs to happen in our party as a whole in order for red states to become competitive. And I have an op-ed that I haven't gotten published yet, but that talks about this very problem and the opportunity that comes from this last election cycle. So the downside of this last election cycle was that there were so many candidates running that the party could not support all of us. And it sucks to run without support. But the upside, the silver lining to that cloud is that all of these candidates ran without being told what to do. And that means that we just conducted an incredible experiment where hundreds of women, not just women, but a lot of women tried new things (laughs) and ran in districts where we haven't run before. And the data from that experiment is so rich and amazing. And I just hope that we use it, that we gather that up and see what we can learn from it. Because I think there's a lot to be learned. And I do think the party is going to have to change. Yeah. Well, and I just think that it's so, you know, and I think that's why I kept thinking about your interview long after it was over is you talked about like, we see the campaign itself as work and how we run the campaign is important and it's contributing something. And I think that we have to stop thinking about campaigns as only being valuable if our candidate wins. Mm -hmm. And we have to release that. You know, for many of us, particularly many of us in red states, the work is going to involve a lot of losing. 
It's going to mean putting ourselves out there, knowing there's no real path to victory. It's going to mean talking about issues that are supposed to be third rails. It's going to mean conversations that are difficult because they need to be had. If the vacuum is not a place for growth, you know, when it's there's no conversation, when there's no candidates, when people are running unopposed, nothing great is going to be happening in our politics. And so, I mean, I think that's hard. Look, I lost. I don't like it. And I I don't take lightly of the idea that I'm asking other people to do it. But I just think that it's really important. I think it's really important to, like you said, view campaigns as work and important contributions to our community in and of themselves. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think part of what that shift would involve is saying, how do we support candidates in a meaningful way, as in in a very practical way? If if we recognize that it, they're doing an important ministry, an important service to their community when they run, like, how do we make sure that they get paid for that work? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was able to go six months without pay, but the biggest... <laughs> realistically, the biggest decision-making factor in whether I run in 2020 is whether I can save up enough money between now and then Yeah, to go without a paycheck in 2020. And that should not be, I mean, I'm making all of my employment decisions based on how do I refill the coffers so I can afford to run again? We've got to make it more practically feasible for regular people to run for office. And that's going to mean, you know, it should be a paid position to run a great race and serve your community in that way. Well, you kind of jumped into what we were going to ask you next, which is just what is next for you? It it sounds like you're thinking very seriously about being on the ballot again, which I'm so encouraged to hear. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm delighted that I don't have to decide just yet. And I want to leave that door open in large part because if the community comes up with a better plan, I don't want to be so invested in myself as as the candidate that I'm not able to to see the the bigger picture. So I want to keep a, enough of a distance that, you know, I'm not I'm not assuming it's going to be me. If someone else arrives on the scene, I want to be ready to be happy for that and uh, encourage that person. You know, and it's hard too because there are so many ways to serve your community and trying to figure out what's the best way and what's the right way to do it over the short term, over the long term. It's madly frustrating that these elections happen every two years. It doesn't give you any time in the middle to do anything meaningful. I can't go take some meaningful job and then plan to quit it in a year in order to run again. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a challenge, but there's so much good work to be done on the other hand, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches or an embarrassment of there's a, a plethora of ways I could serve and they're all desperately needed. So you know, I don't think there's a, a bad option on the table. Thank you to Tabitha Eisner for coming back on and sharing her philosophy and her inspiration. I could talk to her every single day and sometimes feel mm-hmm. like I need to. We will be back with you on Tuesday sharing our conversation with Ann Bogle. We're also going to be talking about Elizabeth Warren's announcement and the happenings in Bernie Sanders' world. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. 
which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.